We welcome you to another episode of Mill Valley's Curtain Theatre Podcast, Behind the Curtain, an official Curtain Theatre production. More information can be found at curtaintheatre.org. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Behind the Curtain podcast. This is the Curtain Theater in Mill Valley, California. I'm Nick Moore, your host, and today I have Dale Leonhardt with us. Um, Dale is playing Juliet in this summer's production of Romeo and Juliet, and I'm playing Romeo. And so today we have Romeo and Juliet sitting down, talking about us, acting, our characters, this story, and eventually we will uh, do a little scene for you guys. Awesome. So, Dale... Hello. <laughs> Who are you? How did you get involved with this production? Can you give us a little auto bio? Yeah. So um, I'm Dale. Mm-hmm. I studied. I started getting into acting actually kind of later in college. Mm-hmm. I um, lived. I was super depressed. I played soccer in like college. A lot of us are when we start acting. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and I was just like searching for something. You know, mm-hmm. soccer season ended. I was in Massachusetts. The winter was like brutal. Mm-hmm. And coming from California, I was not used to it at all. Ooh. And I lived in a dorm right across from the theater. And mm-hmm. I saw that they had auditions for Macbeth. And it was every morning I look out the window, I'd see the big poster. And I just like showed up. And I actually, funny enough, they had sides. I didn't have anything prepared. And it was a Juliet monologue. Oh, really? Yeah, the pace. And I remember holding it and That's shaking. And I dropped the paper. Oh, really? Like, I dropped the side, <laughs> like picked it up. And I was like, oh, sorry. And just kept going. Mm-hmm. And somehow I got cast as a weird sister. Oh, wow. Luckily, yeah. And then from then on, like, the bug bit me. I just didn't Totally, so you just acting. kept doing more and more stuff. Yeah, yeah. Nice. But I never thought, you know, after reading that famous Juliet speech, I was like, well, that's probably the only time I'll ever totally. have a moment to play her. So I feel really lucky to be involved in this. And um, as for finding Curtin, I have seen a couple of shows in the past and have known people have been involved and... Just wanted to give it a shot. Totally. Yeah. What was it about, like, you know, we, we, we use the, the, like, the phrase, the bug bit me, like, all mm-hmm. the time. What was it about it, though? Like, what, like, yeah. what, what excites you about doing this stuff? Yeah, I suppose, like, you know, I was always very serious. I was, like, a very studious kid, and I just, like, did school and soccer, and totally. that was kind of it, and read a lot. But I didn't feel like I had a huge outlet to be, like, goofy mm-hmm. or sad you know I was a sort of stoic and then once I found theater I was like oh I can be weird and vulnerable oh. and found, I feel like I kind of for the first time I was like oh I can be myself and be not only accepted but like celebrated for all of your weirdness you know and the people that I met in that first production just kind of became my family and I was like if I couldn't replicate this and try different roles, then why wouldn't I give it a shot, you know? Um, so I took an acting class, and I, I remember I was just kind of one of the only people who had never acted before. <laughs> I was so nervous and so shy, and I just, yeah, throughout those, like, four years, I feel like I really came out of my bubble. And, nice. Yeah. Totally. What about you? Yeah. So I'm Nick Moore. Um, aside from hosting this podcast, I also act. <laughs> um, I... Um, Started doing acting when I was in uh, in high school. Okay. I was uh, I was fourteen, and I at, when I started like at the high school I was at Drake High School now Archie Williams. You had to like take a um, uh, an elective class, like you had to choose one of either painting, guitar, or theater. And my sister went to uh, Archie Williams before me, and she was like, yeah, guitar and painting have a lot of homework, so you should just go with the easy one, take theater. <laughs> and so I did. Right. <laughs> and the bug 
didn't bite me right away, mm-hmm. but eventually I realized I didn't have much time to do, and I probably, you know, I hadn't started smoking pot, but I probably would have started smoking pot if I just didn't have anything, if I had some, didn't have anything else to do. So I started, you know, just doing theater all the time. I did like a bunch of productions for the next few years, and then when it was like high school theater is not enough for me, I just started auditioning around the Bay, and then so the first time I, I did a curtain show mm-hmm. was I think in twenty. 2017, yeah, oh, 2017. Yeah. I did the Miser um, in uh, which which was the first season. I was like just auditioning for like whatever was around. I saw on totally. Facebook that this company was doing something. Yeah. Never seen a show there. I still never have never seen a curtain show. I've only ever been in them. <laughs> um, and so I did that, and then. Steve, uh, the director of this of this show, uh, we wanted to direct at the curtain, I believe, for the first time the next year, or at least direct Shakespeare for the first time the next year. I think he did a musical before, and he came up to me after the after performances of The Miser, and he was like, "You should come out, out and audition for Hotspur mm-hmm. in Henry the Fourth. We're, we're doing Henry the Fourth next year." And so then I auditioned for that, but I didn't want to play Hotspur because I was like, "This guy isn't me." I, I auditioned for Hal, and I did play Hal. Oh, nice! Yeah, oh my god, it was such a great role. It's one I want to revisit now that, like, you know, when you like when you when you when you yes. get better as an actor, and you're like, "God damn it!" Like that that one I did before was just so terrible. Totally, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so now that I'm like a better actor, I, I want to revisit that role. Um, mm-hmm. Then I was away from the curtain for a few years. I was in New York and L.A. Went to the American Musical and Dramatic Academy. Um, and then COVID hit and I had to leave New York. And, um, when I left and came back here, one of the first things that happened was pretty serendipitously, um, uh, Michelle Delatra, who was directing 12th night that summer, reached out to me being like, Hey, we lost an actor. I don't even know if you're in the area, but would you be interested in being in our 12th night production? And I was like, Oh man, I haven't done anything like any theater in the longest time since I've been acting school. And so I, I reached out, uh, so I, I went, I went, I went, got back to her and I, I, I did, um, 12th night, uh, which is a really fun production. Um, and then just last year, uh, Steve did this production of Two Gentlemen of Verona, which he's been, he'd been working on for like a super long time. So he's yeah. like super intense about like how he, he picks shows and sure. like how much he gets into them. <laughs> and so he, him and I have been talking about this production of two gentlemen of Verona since like before I moved to New York, he'd been mm-hmm. talking about wanting me to do Valentine in this. And so I auditioned for that, did Valentine there. And then the next year was Romeo and Juliet. And this is a dream role of mine. And so like, I, you know, I'd do anything to do this one. So, of yeah. course. So, that's totally. how it brought me here. Yeah. yeah. You and I were actually kind of both exiled from New York at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it was we funny. Were. Yeah, yeah. And it felt like coming back to the Bay was like a reawakening of theater, like this love for theater. Yeah. Because for so long in New York, I was doing these like silly little, you know, uh, little recordings, like short films that never went anywhere. Totally. And then there wasn't any theater going on for the longest time. And yeah, I came back in 2021 and then was like, oh, this is the best theater scene around. Do you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like a lot of times when you're in like a big market like New York or LA, you can get it like because like the majority of stuff out there that you're going for is either like the smallest hole in the wall theater ever where you rehearse four times and put on a show yes. that no one likes uh-huh. or you uh, 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 do um, a short film by a student director, which can, can be good, but mm-hmm. often is just marred by the fact that it's their they're super early in their process. Yeah. Um, and so you're working on a lot of projects. I feel like 
I, I texted a friend of mine while I was in New York one day. Mm-hmm. I auditioned for, uh, it was like a commercial for like one of those sports drinks or something. Okay, yeah. And I, I, I texted her and I said, the great tragedy of, go, of spending two years in acting school is that I'm trained to play Hamlet and yet I'm reading ads for Gatorade. Exactly. Like that yeah. was my whole like yes. thing. It was pretentious and it's, it's super like full of myself, but. But yeah, that's what happens to so many people, right? Yeah. yeah. You don't, yeah, you don't get to like have like the, 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 the stuff that we fell in love with. And, and so, yeah, like you're right. Coming back to the Bay was yeah. kind of like, I could breathe again. I could, I could be doing this yeah. and it's just for passion. It's not because I'm trying to further some career goal right. anything like that, which I, which I like. Yeah. Me yeah. too. Me too. Totally. <laughs> so you mentioned when you were, um, when you were, when, when you read that Juliet speech, you know, you thought you'd never play that role, yeah. but now you're playing Juliet. Like yeah. what, what excites you about this role? Like what's, What's the exciting thing about playing Juliet? Oh my gosh. I mean, she's such a dynamic character mm-hmm. and I think such a strong woman and like a strong female character that's so ahead of her time. Mm-hmm. I think Shakespeare was in writing Juliet and all of, you know, all of his heroines. He mm-hmm. was such had these like feminist ideas that were so radical for that time period. And even now what Juliet does is really remarkable. You know, mm-hmm. she turns away from her family and all these expectations that are placed upon her of time and place and propriety. And she says, you know, to heck with it. I'm just going to follow my passion, do what I love. And, you know, I don't care what anybody says and it, you know, gets her into trouble, but she knows the risks the whole time, which I think sometimes she's played as a little too naive or innocent. Mm -hmm. And she is in, you know, she is a bit right. She's this lovelorn, woman or girl sometimes, depending on where you're going with the age, yeah. but she also is incredibly smart and witty and brave. Mm-hmm. And I think these facets like really draw me to her as a character um, and being able to have the opportunity to expose the different sides of her that I think are sometimes ignored or not highlighted. What, 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 what sides do you think are the ones that aren't, aren't, aren't as highlighted? Yeah, I think her she's a bit lewd, you know, she's mm-hmm. lewd and she's lusty and she's bold and free spirited. And, you know, you see, if you watch you, Olivia Hussey and, you know, Romeo and Juliet, the movie, uh-huh. and, uh, she's a beautiful actress, wonderful performance, but it's sort of one dimensional. Sure. She's beautiful and young and innocent. Yeah. You know, there's not this she's butting heads against her father and he's telling her she's going to, he's going to be throwing her onto the streets. And she, you know, like it's these moments of radical honesty and like fearlessness, um, that I think are sometimes mitigated or downplayed. Totally. Yeah. I think we have this like, like mythos of who Juliet is and like our cultural idea. And it's like, it, it, it just, it boils down to like young lover, young, naive, you know, yes. girl who falls in love with a, you know, a bad guy. Yeah. Like, that's the idea we have. And I, I, it, it's interesting because it, like, I think when you dive into this role as an actor, you're probably mm-hmm. like searching out way more. Oh, totally. And you know, I always was like, oh, she's an, just an ingenue. Like I'll never play her. I don't really, mm-hmm. I played a lot of like comedic and weird, you know, weird, weirder roles, I suppose. So I never thought I'd have the opportunity to play Juliet because she's so in, in mainstream media seen as just this like beautiful, lovely girl. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't know. I ha- historically hadn't really gotten many of those roles sure, before. Sure. Uh, yeah. And so I think that 
and of course any actor wants to play Romeo or Juliet yeah. because it's the language is so rich and mm-hmm. I know you and I have talked before about just how like beautiful these lines are and just it kind of feels like I feel a little honored to be able to say them you know yeah totally yeah yeah and yeah. you mentioned that you always wanted to play Romeo yeah yeah that, do you remember like the first time you were like that's that's one that I really so love to do. I think it comes from this like Machiavellian sense that I have of like Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah. Like I want to conquer all of it. You yes. Know? Yeah. Um, I when I was like in in um, when I was like in in college, I was obsessed with Hamlet. Like okay. I was constantly reading Hamlet and watching Hamlet and, and trying to learn all the lines from Hamlet. Yeah. And all that stuff because I was like, I'm gonna play Hamlet one day and it's gonna be you know my my big thing. Like, yep. Because every I think young actor thinks like totally. my thing's gonna be Hamlet. Yeah. Um, and then as I was like, as I was reading the canon, I was going through and being like. You know, there, I think there's like progression here. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you start with Hal, then you move up to like you know Romeo. You play some of the romantic, com- comedic mm-hmm. uh, male leads in there, and then you go up to Hamlet. And between there, you play some of the more substantial uh, male leads like Petruchio and 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 Benedict and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then you know, you go up to Mac, you go into Macbeth, and then you go up to King Lear. Yes, that's like the lineage. Sure, of yeah. Being like a a, a a a a guy in Shakespeare, or honestly, any actor playing Shakespeare, yes. it's so you know, it's so genderful. Would, totally. um, the way the way that these plays are written, um, so I, um, I I think that was part of it. Mm-hmm. But then, uh, just just once I started like getting more into it, which is about like a year and a half ago when I was doing Valentine, because I saw Valentine as this very like. Um, like 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 it, it very much like a prototype for who Romeo is, okay. you know, banished from the person uh, he loves. Valentine is, you know. Uh, uh, um, goes out uh, into an, another land, the same way Romeo goes to Mantua, and mm-hmm. has this epiphany there. Yeah. Um, is also someone who's, who's sworn off of love and then immediately falls in love, right. which is, again, another thing that happens with Romeo. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it, it's, my, my thought is, you know, he wrote, Shakespeare wrote these two plays in such, like, uh, like very, very close together in time. Yeah. Um, that, like, possibly... Uh, he was testing out like this 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 young lover character mm-hmm. with Valentine, and then really really nailed it with Romeo. Yeah. Um, and so I started feeling like as playing Valentine, I was like, I feel like I'm not getting everything out of this. Like I wanna I wanna really dive into the meat of of, of this of this of this this person and mm-hmm. who that person is to me is like I. I think again, it's just, it's 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 how it's played in the media, you know. Yeah. Romeo and Juliet are played as these young, naive lovers. Mm-hmm. It's it's always, you know, like I don't know why people quote the line, but soft what light through yonder window breaks. Yeah, because all that line is saying is, but what's that light over there? Right. Like, why is that scene as romantic? It's not romantic. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. You know, it is the east, and Juliet is the sun. That's, That's pretty romantic. Yes. Right. You know, but that gets left out. <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah. And so it's 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 weird to me. Um, uh, 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 the how, just how mythologized uh, these characters have become. Yeah. You know where like. I was on Apple Music the other day, and I found like there's like there's like sixty something songs named Romeo and Juliet about like young lovers. Yes, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. They're just these like you know long. Oh goodness gracious, young lovers. And it's funny, you know, you'll see people, the kind of edgy kids in high school, and you're reading Romeo and Juliet or middle school, whenever. I'll be like, yeah. oh, but they're so dumb. Like this is so stupid. Yeah. You know, they kind of toss away like, oh, these fourteen year old kids. You know, yeah. what a stupid story. Yeah. And it, 
I think that totally like strips it of it's just ignoring like the beauty and the greatness and they're not idiots. No. They're totally aware of what they're doing and of the stakes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that the media plays a huge part in how we view these characters. I think it does. And I think also there's something about like our, our, our modern view of love. Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe not in a modern, but like I, I think it, you know, at ages in life, you 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 value different things, and I think often people who look at Romeo and Juliet and 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 think like, God, what a you know, what a stupid unrealistic story. I'm like, yeah. I feel like maybe it's that point in your life where you're not, yeah, like having like like, a, but, but 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 when you're young, when you when you, when you when you when you're these characters age, you know, or like even older now, because you know, <clears throat> back then people had to grow up faster, right? But totally. when you're when you're when you're at this age, or when you when you when you meet that person, it's like love is this unstoppable, ungovernable force, yeah. and it makes you know. And, and I think that's a beautiful thing to see on stage. I think when when productions or when or when interpretations are stripped of just the the sheer power that love has in this script, mm-hmm. then I feel like you're you're I don't know, you're making a very anti romantic statement about the world. Yeah, it's quite cynical. Yeah, yeah, it feels it, it does. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I also, but then I also think looking at these characters, like they're just lovers, like that's all that they have about them is mm-hmm. that they are incredibly in love with love and they have so much language about love. Mm-hmm. Like that completely discredits, like, like moments, like you said, where you confront yeah. your father, Yeah. like that's a, that's, that's a huge moment. And that's not someone just being super in love. That's, that's, yeah. that, that's a very strong person. That's a whole different um, totally. shade. And I think. Finding the shades and colors in it has been what's been, uh, um, you know, driving me crazy over the last few months. Right. And Romeo, like, turning away from his best friends. Yeah. You know, and uh, talking to the friar. And yeah. And taking a step away and saying, but kind of putting his foot down and saying mm-hmm. he won't be involved in these, the gang, you know, the fights. And yeah. it, that's really bold and brave. And anybody who's had a group of friends that start doing things you're not really into knows how hard it is to just put your foot down, say no. And to think that he did, and it was, I mean, much higher stakes than if your friends are, you know, smoking pot and you don't want to or something, but you know, it's very bold. It is. And especially, especially because, you know, it's, at least my interpretation is that I was in a gang, Mm -hmm. you know, I was in, I I was in the Montague gang and, and, and I've grown up in a time of, of violence, you know, yeah. uh, it's an ancient grudge. It's not a recent grudge. It's, no. this is something that I think I've been quite involved in. And so when, when I look at like the unrealisticness, uh, that people interpret, you know, these two people falling in love and getting married and killing themselves in the course of five days mm-hmm. or however long it is. But when I, when I look at people, like the, the idea of how, un, how unrealistic that sounds in a modern lens, right. I also have to look at like. The the, the 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 space that these two people exist in, yeah, and how it's this very uh, uh, like 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 Steve describes it. It's this it's this, it's this hurricane. It's yeah. this tempestuous time where I feel like if you know I if if if, if I don't know who's going to live to tomorrow, mm-hmm. if I don't know you know uh, uh, like like how long I have left on this earth because I've been flirting with death for my entire life. Right. Of course, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I, if, if, if I see something good, if I see someone who can actually give me peace in my life, I'm going to, I'm going to jump at that opportunity. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They're kind of, they're the eye of this crazy hurricane and they're in the midst of so much strife and hate and violence. And yeah, you, and especially, I mean, for Juliet, she's so sheltered from all of this. Mm -hmm. And I think that's another facet of her, 
interest in Romeo is, you know, she's just in her kind of, her, you know, castle or whatnot. You know, she's almost sheltered from everything except for the nurse and her parents who don't really do much for her intellectually or, you know, they're not super caring or doting. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she sees Romeo and meets him at the same level that he's working on. And I think her eyes are open that her life doesn't have to just be this, you know, the Montagues and the Capulets fighting. And it doesn't just have to be locked up in this house or marrying her, you know, the prince. It's just, or Paris, I mean. Um, Yeah, I think it offers, like, she's finally seeing for the first time what life can be. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't care if it ends because at least she'll have it for that those yeah. five days or that moment. You'll have lived. Her. Yeah. You know. And she, I think up to this point, she feels as though she hasn't really lived. I mean, she's been living, but it doesn't, she doesn't feel alive. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause yeah, I don't know. One, one, one part of, 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 I, I don't look at Juliet's lines very often, but one part of Juliet's <laughs> lines that I really like <laughs> is, uh, that whole thing about, uh, the kid who has new robes before some yes. festival yes. and cannot so wear them. Yes, so tedious is this day as the night before some festival to an impatient child who hath new robes but may not wear them. Right. I mean, like, how freaking personal is that? Yeah, like, exactly. I always love that, right? Because she's speaking so broadly and beautifully about love, and then she all of a sudden, it's that, she kind of turns on a, a dime. She's like, yeah. oh, beautiful, I, you know, I ha- haven't been possessed, haven't been on. Oh, this sucks, I'm so annoyed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it's just like that time I had, I had new robes I couldn't wear them. And won't wear them. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So you kind of do get this, like, yeah, she is young, you know? She has this impatient nature, and she just wants what she wants, and but I love that. It's also, like you said, you know, it, it like, blends in with, like, these... Because we, 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 we switch, you know? And I have, I have a moment like that, too, with the whole schoolboys from their books. Yes. You know, yes. like that. Like, I, I have... You know, we, we switch between talking about these super high philosophical concepts yeah. of like the moon and the stars and the sun and, and, and what, is, what is a name and all this, all this like super deep stuff. Yeah. And then we go back to these very like juvenile ideas totally. of like a schoolboy who can't, who has to go to, go back to his books yeah. and a, a girl who can't wear a dress she wants to wear. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's so fascinating how Shakespeare has balanced these two and made it feel incredible incredibly real by doing that, you know, you're like, oh yeah, maybe people now don't speak in such beautiful tongues and poetry, but everybody can relate to not wanting to study or wanting to work close to your So yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it, yeah, it it, it is, it is a really interesting, um, and it's, 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 it's one of those plays and I think there are those characters and you'll agree with me on this, Mm -hmm. that the more you put into them, the more you get out of them. Yeah. Like, Shakespeare's that kind of writer. That's why people are still reading him 400 years from now. It's because, Absolutely. you know, we're, we, we go into... Like, I, I went in with, like, a, a, conce- a conception of Romeo, and we're on rehearsal number two today, mm-hmm. and I am already completely thrown out that old conception. I have yeah. a whole new conception now. Absolutely. Um, and so I, 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 I like that. I like the exploratory process of, 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 of this role. And I like building out the world that Shakespeare, while is implied and written into the play, mm-hmm. isn't all there for, you know, to live inside of you. That's, yeah. that's the actor's job in my, my view, mm-hmm. which kind of gets me into like my next thought I want to talk about, like yeah. acting, like what, like, do you, do you have like a, do you have like a process yeah, you know, it's a little bit different for each yeah. show. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
mostly, you know, I, I read the play a bunch and then I write down everything my character says about somebody sure. and then everything that's said about my character totally. from anybody. And then, you know, it was last summer I did Picnic by yeah. at Ross Valley Players and it was so funny because my character Madge didn't, it was like I had it on two pieces of paper right next to each other and she barely said anything about anyone. <laughs> and then all of the lines about her were just like, if the word pretty, beautiful, cute <laughs> yeah. was not in it, there was nothing said about her. Yeah. And it wasn't until I, you know, looked at that side by side where I was like, wow, she is not valued for any, nobody even knows Madge. Yeah. No one knows a thing about this girl. Yeah. Um, and so I do that and I, I often find that illuminates a lot for me. And then mm. music for me is really big. Yeah, me too. So I make playlists for all my characters and mm -hmm. kind of live inside that and, you know, I have drives to rehearsal and I'll just play the totally. play the playlist over and over. Get that into your head. Yeah, and for me like movement, so finding the way my character moves and walks and what body parts they lead with and mm -hmm. um that's pretty big for me. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Um, so I recently finished uh, the Meisner technique training. Okay. Um, and I think before it, I didn't really... Like, I, I, I had, like, a thing that I would do when I'd act. Yeah. But I don't really think it was a method. Like, I didn't, it wasn't a process, really. Yeah. So with that, I think I got... Because it was interesting because that's not made for Shakespeare. Yeah. Like, Stanford Meisner hated Shakespeare. Right. Uh, didn't, didn't never, never really acted it. Um, but um, the the... The technique I thought actually really applied because it's all about like learning what the words mean to you. Mm -hmm. Because like someone can call me, you know, uh, uh, Tybalt says uh, the hate I bear thee can afford no better term than this. Thou art a villain to me. Right. What does thou art a villain really mean to me? Because me hearing that myself, if I heard that me Nick, I'd laugh because right. it's a stupid thing to say. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. But I have to earn that and, and earn what it what it what it what it meant. And so, you know, villain means bastard. And so what would it mean to me uh, uh, to be called a bastard? And, and so it's playing with that, like, as if like comparing it to my real life, but also, you know, building out the world of of of, of the character is really important to me because yeah. it's not all in the script. We're, we're getting little segments from these people's lives, totally. especially in this play where it only takes place over the course of like five days. Yeah. Like there, there are, you know, uh, there, there, there's over a decade before that, that I need to fill with my imagination. Yeah, um, totally. And so that's mainly what it is. And then just letting that all go and being there with the scene partner, you know? Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah, I absolutely. It's like all about the connection with the other actors for me. I feel mm -hmm. like I often don't really fully come alive as the character until I'm with someone else totally. who's equally as committed and giving as much as, you know, it's such a give and take. Yeah. And I feel very lucky because I feel as though you and I work very well together. Yeah, no, me too. There's an equal exchange, you know, and we bring new things to the scene each time. I'm and the, I mean, that's just from callbacks and the few rehearsals yeah. we've had together, but yeah. yeah. And so, uh, it's always about, for me, it's like if I can make my scene partner look good or help yeah. them find new things. And I feel like my job is one easier. Right. Mm -hmm. And then two, it's like, Oh yeah, I've, I've done my job. I totally. just made this scene come alive or like, you know, you'll have, if you're playing a bigger role and you have an interaction with a character that's quite small, you know, and then yeah. trying to help find something new. Maybe this actor only has three lines in the whole show, mm -hmm. but if you can do something different and help them find something. And oftentimes I find that the bit parts help me find new things totally. within my character. So 
yeah, I, I just have so much fun playing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and that's uh, Glenn Havlin, uh, playing the friar, yeah. told me um, he, he mentioned something about how over time Shakespeare's smaller roles got like more and more fleshed out. Like, even though they still had the same amount of dialogue. Mm-hmm. You know, characters like the second gentleman in Othello, like yeah. he has this, uh, you know, like I, I, he, he delivers this little report and it's just such beautiful, eloquent poetry. Yeah. Um, and like I and then like characters like 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 Peter in, in, in Romeo and Juliet, yeah. you know, like uh, has this little speech about how he can't read and, and, and how ridiculous it is for him to be assigned to read. And yeah. then has to go seek out a learned person to do it. I don't know. Like there's a lot of, there's, there, there's a lot of like, like nuance in that. Yeah. Um, and I think part of what made Shakespeare a great writer and it's cool then as an actor to find those relationships with like every single character on stage. Cause yeah. it's all very specific. You totally. Know? Yeah. yeah. And I think sometimes, um, when you're doing a show or you see a play and you're like, Oh, it feels like they're performing this as it is just the play. You can mm-hmm. tell that they don't have any backstory. They in their head, they haven't, you know, had any interactions with this person before, even though it's their servant that they've spoken to yeah. a billion times. You know, in Macbeth, I was a weird sister. I was also like one of the servant boys, mm-hmm. and I rem- I had like three lines as that role, and oh. I remember like the actor playing Mackers was so talented, and every time she would like talk to me. You know, she's a senior. I was a first year. And totally. she'd ask me about the servant and, mm-hmm. you know, and then say, oh, do you think that we've had, do you think I've like hit you? What do you think? Yeah. And it, I remember so at the time I was kind of like, this That's is so weird. Cool. And then I was like, no, this is genius. <laughs> That's like, yeah. This is awesome. That's really cool. um, yeah. So I guess my aim is just to make other people feel as like seen and reciprocate all the energy that's going around. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. did a bunch of little servant roles in Marin Shakespeare one season. Okay. And, um, do you know Jeff Wiesen? No. So he's this amazing, amazing local actor. I don't, he's not local. I think he's, I think he's in LA now, okay. but he came, he comes up to Marin Shakespeare once in a while. He was playing Cassio and Othello and I was okay. playing, I didn't have any lines. I was a servant who carried his torch behind him. And he would do this whole scene with me before the, before the scene started. Cause I apparently, cause he, he'd set up in his world that like, I told him about this like battle going on and he's going out to go see what, see what it is. That scene where, uh, Iago, uh, and Rodrigo attack, uh, okay. eventually attack Cassio. Yes. Um, and so he, as I'm about to walk out, he goes to me, he goes, you said they were doing this. And he's like, and he's like giving me all this stuff. And I was like a kid. I had no clue to say back. I was like, yes, yes, yes sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, but yes, but like, it, it, you know, it, it was it was for his sake and my sake, and, mm-hmm. and it made it feel real going on stage. Which I yeah. again, it's that it's that making your scene partner look good and being and and having a, 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 a fleshed out relationship and and a good connection with them. Yeah, and that just brings it all to life and makes it all real, which, totally. is, which is really really nice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of which, you want to do some text? Yeah. All right. Okay. Ready? Yeah. So this is um, Act 1, Scene 5, The Dance. Um, This is when uh, Romeo and Juliet first meet. If I profane with my unworthiest hand to this holy shrine, the gentle fine is this. My lips, two blushing pilgrims ready stand to smooth that rough touch with a tender kiss. Good pilgrim, you do wrong your hand too much, which mannerly devotion shows in this. For saints have hands that pilgrims' hands do touch, and palm to palm is holy palmer's kiss. 
Have not saints lips and holy palmers too? Ay, pilgrim, lips that they must use in prayer. Oh, then, dear saint, let lips do what hands do. They pray. <laughs> grant thou, lest faith turn to despair. <laughs> saints do not move, though grant for prayer's sake. And move not, while my prayer's effect I take. Thus from my lips by yours, my sin is purged. Then have my lips the sin that they have took. Sin from my lips? Oh, trespass sweetly urged. Give me my sin again. You kiss by the book. All right, and if you want to hear the rest of that scene, come on down to the Curtain Theater this summer and see Romeo and Juliet. Dale, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was thank awesome having you. Thank you so much. All right. <laughs> Thus ends this episode of Behind the Curtain, a production of the Curtain Theatre. The Curtain Theatre of Mill Valley, California, provides free outdoor theatre during the summer in Old Mill Park, focusing on Shakespeare and other classics. We do so out of love for great drama, and in the belief that the gathering of audience and artists around great plays in this intimate and beautiful setting adds immeasurably to the quality of life in the community. We exist gratefully through the city sponsorship of the Mill Valley Arts Commission and Parks and Recreation Department, along with generous community donations. Information is available at curtaintheatre.org. If we do meet again, why, we shall smile. If not, why then, this parting was well made.